Hello, and welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5c.consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. Welcome, everybody. This is Greg Ballard with the Adaptive Executive, and we have a very special guest, Aaron Tolson, the CEO, uh, founder and CEO of Northern Virginia Food Rescue. Uh, welcome, Aaron. Hey, Greg. How you doing? Doing fantastic. Really glad to have you here today. Yeah. Uh, a quick, some quick background, Aaron. Aaron and I know each other uh, for a couple of years now. We met at Leadership Prince William. Uh, we're in the same same class, and we got to know each other. Uh, just a little bit about Aaron's background, former Air Force uh, fuel operator. He's also the author of 135, Turning Codependency into Interdependency. Uh, but what we really want to talk about is the work he's been doing since we came from the LPW class just a couple of years ago and food rescue. So Aaron, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the work you're doing. Yeah, thanks, Greg. And uh, great hanging out with you this morning. And I look forward to chatting a little bit about uh, the work that we're doing and uh, just my role and, you know, what I'm experiencing and as I build out my team. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a native of Northern Virginia, um, a little bit of an oddity um, in this area, uh, back several generations. Uh, uh, as you mentioned, I was in the Air Force as an in-flight refueler on the KC-135s, which led into the book that I wrote uh, where I weave some of the stories of my military experience in those, um, you know, Three numbers, one, three, five, carry a very significant um, impact in my, in my life and my journey. Um, but I've done a lot of other things over the years, but I've always had this pull towards philanthropy, working in the community, um, and through our leadership principle and experience, got pulled back into that. Um, um, I was formerly at a cybersecurity company um, in management and just really felt the pull to get back into philanthropy. So... Um, yeah, began to explore the disconnect between food waste and food insecurity, and that just kind of led me down this crazy road <laughs> that I've been on uh, for the past three or four years. So tell me, what what were you seeing? Because like, I mean, obviously it makes sense. You've got food waste, right? And, and I, 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 I did... Um... I did a few years in food service, like so I was in the restaurant business for seven years, yeah. and I understand a little bit about waste and and then, but the food insecurity component, right? So, what were you seeing, and where were you seeing these things? Like, did you have a light bulb moment when these things connected for you? Yeah, and I I wish I could remember the moment where that light bulb went off, but I know that somehow I came across the statistic of about 40% of our food is wasted while one in six are hungry. And just that disconnect between the, the, you know, the billions of pounds of food that are discarded around the world while you know, millions of people are hungry and there's enough food to feed those people, why are we trashing it? Um, and then just led me to, I started exploring like what are organizations doing like around the world? Um, because each country is different with their rules and regulations. Um, and obviously here in the United States, uh, we're positioned very uniquely with the way our, our government is structured and um, you know, rules and regulations, especially around food. Um, so there's a lot of great organizations around the country um, trying to tackle this. 
with different models, different um, uses of technology and staffing, and there's just all kinds of stuff. And um, but it really just hit me like, man, we could be doing something about this. And yeah. uh, fortunately, came across from a Facebook post of a friend of mine in Pittsburgh uh, that had done a rescue, a food rescue from 412 Food Rescue out there in Pittsburgh. And uh, so I, I downloaded the app that they had, and it was so intuitive and easy to use and the statistics. And I was like, we can be doing this in Prince William County. Actually, we should be doing this in Prince William County. And uh, so I uh, reached out to 412 and they brought us on as a partner and uh, it's just been a fantastic journey uh, working with them since. Excellent. So tell us, tell us a little bit about Northern Food Rescue. Like what have you achieved? Like tell us a little bit about the model and some of yeah. the successes you've had already. Yeah. So we started it out as a program of an existing or- organization, a nonprofit that had been in the community for over 50 years called ACTS, ACTS, Action Community Food Service. We do a ton for the community in um, human services, crisis services, uh, everything from food to emergency assistance to domestic violence and sexual assault services, uh, 24-7 crisis helpline, just on and on. And so um, uh, very fortunate to work with uh, Steve Liga, the CEO, and their board to launch Food Rescue as a new program um, to see if it would work. And it did. <laughs> Within a few months, uh, the community just really embraced it. Um, and we had already surpassed our first year goal of rescuing 200,000 pounds of food in the first five months. Um, and if you can remember back this far <laughs> to, to early 2020, uh, <laughs> right before a certain pandemic all of a sudden changed our lives forever, um, so we were already thinking about how we wanted to expand this uh, food rescue program beyond just Prince William County, which was the service area of ACTS. Um, but then when the pandemic hit and food insecurity just went through the roof, it just sped up our timeline. Mm-hmm. And we had to adjust and adapt very quickly to a new reality. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had great partnerships with the county, um, economic development, emergency management office, a board kind of supervisors that really got behind us. Uh, to shift to um, to really be able to fight food insecurity, so you know we've been doing this for um, three about three years now, um, but we've now transitioned into a completely new territory. Um, mm-hmm. But the model that we have, uh, we worked with Four One Two to create a brand new app for us, um, and so our uh, model looks like being kind of an umbrella organization that has food rescue programs underneath of it in every county throughout Northern Virginia. An app to do that did not exist. A model did not exist. So we're definitely kind of exploring some new, new territory um, to be able to impact an entire region instead of just a single county. So over the next several years, we're um, we're looking to have about eight uh, food rescue programs throughout Northern Virginia under one umbrella. Um, we've now launched in Fairfax. Uh, so we have a Fairfax food rescue program. Uh, Fauquier is the next one um, for us, and then a lot of other great stuff um, throughout this year. So we've uh, we've already surpassed three million pounds of food that we've rescued. Uh, we're about eighteen million pounds we've pushed down the community because we also have a warehouse space where we're able to do bulk uh, receive bulk donations, like you know um, pallets of fresh food from farmers. Let's say that you know couldn't sell it all instead of them throwing it away. They're able to donate it to us and we can break it down and get it out to our partners. We support a little over 100 partners, uh, food distribution sites um, a month. Um, so every week we're pushing food out to folks. Um, 
we probably, I mean, most of the way our model works is through donations. So we have in-kind donations of food, but we also have volunteers using our app to drive their cars to help us move food from point A to point B. So we have well over $20 million in in-kind um, donations already um, through this program. We have over 800 volunteers that have completed at least one rescue uh, since we launched um, and continually adding new new folks. And obviously, as we expand in other counties, we need more and more uh, volunteers yeah, that are yeah. say, hey, I can pick up food and drop it off and then be done. So if I get this right, and, and just to kind of help the listeners understand the model. So you've created, you got the app, which you kind of got the framework from is it, uh, the group up in Pittsburgh. This is it 412? Yeah, 412 Food Rescue. 412. Yeah. And uh, I know we've talked about them. They said they've been great partners with you, but you've taken what they've learned and you've adapted it here for the Northern Virginia area. And, and so you have say a hotel or a restaurant or a grocery store that says, Hey, we want to partake because we have food waste, good food, right? Edible, good food that could be used in a day, within a day or two, but there's, it's a perishable. So you, you put them into the app. They say, Hey, I've got, I've got like 15 pounds of food here. And then that goes into the app and you have a network of volunteers that say, hey, I'm nearby. I can pick that up at three o'clock and drive it to where it needs to go. And you have a system that um, allows uh, in the back end, you have a a team that kind of assigns the food that's going to go from that Wegmans branch to this other distribution site, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. This other nonprofit. And so you guys are doing the logistics of moving good food to where it needs to go and you have a team of volunteers that actually physically towards transport it yeah yeah it's a really interesting model and and i really love it so you know we're not feeding people directly that's not our mission our Mm -hmm. mission is really to support the organizations that are already on the front lines feeding people we just want to try to give them more food healthier food that they can give to their families that they're serving so it allows them to not have to stress about getting healthy food, working with grocery stores, who's already picking up from that store, who's not picking up. Like we can handle all of that. You just stay forward, you know, client forward facing as much as possible. We'll get you food on the days that you're open, when you're going to serve people, we'll flood you with food. And hopefully it's healthy stuff that you can give your clients that helps their health um, as food insecure individuals and families. So it's, it's a pretty yeah. interesting model. So I, I have a question I want to ask, and then I want to get into some more of the meat of like from a leadership perspective. Yeah. But um, from your from where you're sitting and the work you're doing, and with COVID and with inflation, are you seeing a rise of food insecurity? Are are you predicting food insecurity to continue going up in this region or around the country? Um, what's your sense of where this food insecurity issue is and where it's going to go? Yeah, uh, that that's a great question, and it's so hard to predict. Um, obviously, we saw a massive spike up to you know 300% increase in food insecurity at the height of the pandemic. Um, we've seen it, it come down, but there's pockets. So there's pockets of our distribution partners that are still seeing either the same amount or even higher numbers. And some of our other partners, they're seeing a decrease. So it kind of depends on where they are in the region as to that fluctuation. Um, but I'm very curious to see what's going to happen over the next couple of months because of inflation rates, um, you know, there's geopolitical implications of other things happening throughout the world that the trickle down is gonna hit us, you know, here in the United States. And so what is that gonna do to our families that are just barely making it? Um, is that gonna drive more people to need 
help with, mm-hmm. um, you know, basic needs like food and shelter and stuff like that. So, um, you know, we, we consider ourselves just kind of a reactive organization um, mm-hmm. and we try to position ourselves and be prepared for a, an increase at any time and we can ramp up and, um, and you know, try to get more food. Um, one of the um, things that's really helping us be in a good position to do that is really working with our county and some of the funding that we've been able to get um, in response to, to COVID, both from CARES and now ARPA funding. Um, so if we have uh, funding specifically to buy food. So if suddenly you know donations go down, grocery store shelves get empty again, food supply chain falls apart, we're in a position where we can do some local stuff, support local agriculture, and, and really uh, make an impact in our in our region, both on the food supply chain and what we're able to push out in the community. Ah, uh, man, this is just amazing. I- I am, um, I'm just really kind of blown away by what you've been able to create because this wasn't even a concept when we started our yeah. program in like late <laughs> 2017 and it formed yeah. in mid 2018, right? And so yeah. we're like not even a full three years behind that. And so in two and a half years, the work you and your team have been able to do through this, through this model has been absolutely, absolutely amazing. So what I want to do is I want to step into the conversation and uh, for our listeners kind of talk a little bit about your mindset and your approach, because um, when I think of adaptive executives, when I think of the purpose of this podcast, it's, it's uh, yes, we talk with senior leaders of kind of mid-sized corporations, right? And how are they staying adaptive in a, in a corporate environment, changing environment? But I also think about folks like you that are founders and startups and because there's so much adaptation that takes place in those first five (laughs) years and you are literally smack dab in the middle of that and Mm -hmm. so I'd love for you to talk about Aaron a little bit about how your approach has been to staying adaptive um, in the midst of of creating this organization creating this this movement yeah I've um, like I said I've done so many different things in my journey um, up, up to this point. So I've had a variety of experiences um, working with different companies, working with the government, working with nonprofits um, in a creative space, in a um, uh, you know, more academic space, and you know, cybersecurity. <laughs> so my um, exposure has been pretty broad um, as far as different scenarios, different types of people, different types of work environments. Um, and I think that's really helped me um, and, and my military experience to, to gain some tools um, to hopefully be a, you know, an effective leader. Um, but for me, I've, I have found it in my journey um, that really knowing myself and understanding who I am deeply um, really is the foundation for then what do I have to give out of who I am mm-hmm. to, to an organization, to employees, to networking, to etc. cetera. Um, so yeah, really having to go through and understand, you know, what are, what are healthy, independent, uh, interdependent relationships? What does that mean? What does that look like? Um, what do I need to do to give to myself so that I'm a healthy individual from the inside out? Um, understanding my strengths and my weaknesses. I mean, I've done the Myers-Briggs before years ago, but with, you know, as you know, with leadership principle, I'm emergenetics. So that's a whole mm-hmm. different kind of uh, way of looking at your strengths and your weaknesses and understanding that and really leaning into, um, you know, your personality um, and flexibility. I mean, 
obviously in the work that I'm doing, things change moment to moment. Um, and so the ability to be flexible without losing who I am, which is why I think understanding who I am is so important because there are times where you need to be able to bend, but you don't want to bend out of, of who you are and lose yourself in the process. So that's been, has been really big for me. And then that then bleeds over into developing your team. So oh, I want to pause real quick. Oh yeah. Before you sure. go into team, I really want to, <laughs> I really want to double down on what you said and, and I think we, we've covered this in previous episodes, this idea of really getting in tune with who you are and your own value system. Yeah. I work with leaders and managers, people managers and executives all the time. And it blows my mind how many of them haven't done the deep work of really understanding their own strengths and weaknesses and their yeah. own value system. And how, you know, to, in order to be an effective, adaptive leader, in my opinion, you need those things. You need to know yeah. what you're really good at, what you're not good at so that you can mitigate for it and you can acknowledge it and you can make sure there's somebody else taking care of it. But you also need that central guidance system of your own values. Mm-hmm. And, and that's hard, deep work. So Aaron, maybe you could speak to that a little bit further. Is there one particular yeah. value that you have really found that is like central to who you are or maybe one or two of those? Yeah. So, you know, and, and this is what kind of preempted me uh, writing this short book of, you know, 135, turning codependency into interdependency through my own journey and working with counselors um, and uh, through crisis, uh, you know, being forced to go a little deeper into, into who I am. And out of that experience, um, you know, just putting the puzzle pieces together for myself, hopefully then it can help others. So, um, you know, for me, there's kind of three very basic foundational guiding principles. Um, one is to feel unconditionally. So often we can dismiss what we're feeling. Um, and I don't even mean just like, do I feel angry or sad, but our intuition or picking up on red flags, um, you know, in, in relationships, it's very easy to, um, you know, kind of, uh, Fan, create a fantasy world around an idea. And that can be a business as well. Like somebody comes along and they share something with you and you're like, oh, this would be amazing. We start to fantasize about, you know, this, this relationship, this partnership, what could happen, even though internally we might have some red flags going off. And so really that, you know, being, being willing to feel unconditionally and whatever emotions go with that, but really, you know, paying attention to that intuition, um, then being honest, um, you know, nothing, destroys relationships like dishonesty but that also goes with myself i have to be honest with with me about Mm -hmm. things that are going on so i I start with trying to be as honest with myself as i can be and then that turns into honesty to others and then keeping your agreements that's the third one so um you know if you say you're going to do something follow through with it Um, and if you can't because life happens and sometimes we make commitments or pledges and then something happens and we can't then that's where good communication comes in right then you communicate about oh i said i was going to do this but now i can't but we're going to talk about it and readjust the expectation and then we can move on so really feeling unconditionally being honest and um, keeping your agreements are three of the foundational things for myself i love that and we talk about keeping agreements on this podcast a lot it's a big theme that I have as a personal value. I teach this to clients. 
um, making and keeping agreements um, yeah. is the foundation of trust, right? I mean, and the yeah. reliability and interdependency, as you put it. Um, so fantastic. I love, I love that. And I'm glad we went down to kind of get to that concrete space. Yeah. So you're going to tell me about how this transitions into team. So let's move into that part of the, the yeah. conversation here. And I've had, oh, there's the, the train in good old Manassas where I am. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I've been on lots of different kinds of teams from being in the military and that kind of a team environment, um, an air crew um, to different kinds of jobs and different teams. And one of the things that I think really helped me flourish uh, with this program, with Food Rescue, was having a leader that really believed in me and empowered me um to to like go for it and like we got your back and so that made a big impact in my life um and not every um boss i've had has has been that way um and so it was fantastic to really know that they're in your corner and they've got your back that allows for a lot of things it allows especially for the ability to what i to to fail forward um, that's a term that I didn't create. I read it somewhere and I absolutely <laughs> loved it. But this idea of failing forward where you have to take risks. If you're going to grow, you can't be stagnant. You've got to try new things. And so to create an environment where trying new things is okay. And if it fails, as long as we learn from it and it, and it makes us better, then it's worth it. Now, if we're just failing and <laughs> we don't learn from it and just creating chaos, you know, that's not failing forward. So, um, but when you know that you've got somebody that's got your back, so that you can fail forward, it really promotes create creativity, ingenuity, um, risk taking, um, and, and that can be a very good thing. So that I I try to create that with my team as well. But it's the same thing that I was talking about before. I, I want to create an environment and and bring along people that we have the same vision, we have the same energy, the same like we've got a vibe that we're really creating within our organization. And everybody we add to this team, it just continues to add to this energy and this vibe that we have. And it's kind of unique. And I don't even know how to explain it exactly, but we know it and we talk about it. And as we're interviewing for new hires, we sense that the energy that that person will bring to our, to our team. And so creating that idea of you know, healthy interdependent relationships as a team um, understanding strengths and weaknesses so we can empower that failing mm -hmm. forward out of our strengths, um, obviously being flexible as a team. So a lot of the things that I'm applying to myself, I'm trying to now expand that to my team of people and grow this larger extension of, of core beliefs and principles that I have. And so as we create this team, you know, one of the things that's been our motto since the very beginning was to grow slow as fast as we can. <laughs> and so the idea that, you know, we can't predict what's going to happen. We want to be wise. We want to be intentional, but we've got to be flexible. So we want to be intentional, but if something happens and we've got to adjust and react to it, like a pandemic, <laughs> we need to be able to do that. And, and so that's, you know, that's been a very important part of, of developing this concept of team. Yeah. And um, some of the language you're using, the word that comes to my mind is culture. Right, you mm -hmm. yep. you are building a, an intentional culture, and and you can begin to recognize it in your in your team, and you can recognize it in in the prospects and the in the people that you're bringing into your team. You can, so as you're selecting, right, as you're looking right. to bring new people in, in that selection process, you can say, well, they have it and they don't, and you can recognize it. So that tells me yeah. 
that you actually have the shape of culture um, inside your organization. It may not have been framed and documented yet, but it's there. Right. <laughs> and um, there's typically two ways you go about building culture. One is we whiteboard it, right? And we say, this is the culture we want. And we talk about all the things we want. Um, and that process generally is very hard to do. Um, but what you've done is the other way of doing it, which is identifying the cultural values that you carry as the founder and the leader, and then extending them out into your, into your team. Yeah. And because it is naturally who you are, you don't have to gut check on every time you're making a decision because you are operating out of those values consistently and your team will see you operating out of those values and they'll know that's the value. That's the way we do yeah. it because yeah, exactly. Aaron has already set the tone. And so um, for those of you who are thinking about culture, if you're listening, you know, if you want to build culture, identify your core leader and identify their values and then identify the ones that they carry that you want to extend in the network, which is exactly cool. what I'm hearing you've done. Um, so that's fantastic. And, and, and so have you had any um, aha experiences in this process? Any lessons learned in this process of building team that you'd like to share? Yeah, uh, well, you don't always get it right the first time, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's okay. Um, um, knowing when to um, let go of either an idea or an employee or a, a relationship or, or um, um, a goal. Um, it's okay to, to have those things and then also be honest with yourself and realistic about whether or not that that is beneficial to all parties involved. Um, so, uh, you know, and I've read lots of books, um, but a talk about, you know, when, when it's time to let an employee go and it can be for just as much for their benefit as yours as an organization, that can be very tough. You know, we don't like conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, in my, in my work, especially where we're very much about helping the community and helping those that are less fortunate. And so, you know, you almost have that mindset with the employees as well. Like I, I want to help them and their families and be successful and succeed and put food on their tables, et cetera. So, you know, having to end that relationship doesn't always feel good, but it might be in the best interest of both parties or that employee. But again, because I know what the vibe is that I'm trying to create and mm -hmm. that, I, that I value, I want all of the team members to, to have those same values. And if someone doesn't, um, uh, then it's not going to work for them or right. for us. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's okay to, to have that realization, but yeah, it's, you know, it's tough. <laughs> we talk about, we talk about, you know, it's, you, you need to celebrate a separation. Uh, mm -hmm. at certain points in time, right? And, and, and there's key markers uh, inside, you know, for an individual or for an organization regarding an individual when that time is. And, it's, and it is objective. It, it may not be convenient for anybody, right? That might be yeah, someone with critical true. talent. It, may be, <laughs> it might be somebody that has critical talent that you need, or they may be highly dependent on that, on that compensation package right. for their own livelihood, right? However, from a values and a, and a, and a, and a place of giving and receiving, it may not be the right alignment and it's yeah. not a fault of anyone, but it's better off to celebrate the separation. And there's a fantastic yeah. book on this. I don't know if you've come across it called necessary endings. That's um, what I read. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I concur. 
Um, so excellent. So love that. Um, uh, prior to the show, you talked about, you know, self team and network. Maybe you can talk a little bit about network now um, and how, yeah. you know, building your team and growing your network has, has really helped advance you guys. Yeah. So that's kind of like the next tier out, right? Yourself a little bit bigger is your team. And then bigger than that is, is kind of your network. And, and so for us, um, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds of organizations that are part of our network from food donor organizations to food distribution partners um, to the community at large, you know, um, you know, thousands of folks in our community have downloaded our app um, and our potential food rescue heroes. So it really takes this partnership network engagement um, and but sometimes it's really easy for us to know kind of what we what we're looking for in partnerships and what we what we need or what we want through partnerships. Um, but again, in our culture, we're also trying to be very mindful as an organization of and, and, but what value do we add back to those partners? What are, what are we able to give? And sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm, I love networking, I'm involved with, you know, LPW and the chamber and different groups uh, around the DMV. Um, and a lot of times I meet and rub shoulders with people and get to know people that are fascinating and they're amazing and their organizations are awesome. And there is no way we would ever work together just because our businesses don't collide in any shape or fashion. But I love it because as I'm rubbing shoulders with other people, I might come across somebody like, oh, the two of you, I need to connect the two of you because the two of you talking is going to be extremely beneficial for you both. It has nothing to do with me, my organization, but, you know, it's this kind of mindset of if we're all building each other up, if we're all working together around an entire, you know, community region, then that's, that is beneficial for, for everybody. And so, I'm always challenging my team to be thinking outside the box of, you know, as you're talking to people, as you're coming across different things, if it's not for us, who's it for? Who can we pass this information on to and help build a, a stronger just community network of, of individuals? Um, and so, you know, we try to have that, that mindset um, as, as an organization. And it's kind of like creating of another ring of these healthy interdependent relationships. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we're trying mm -hmm. to just expand that out in the community just a little bit farther besides ourselves. I love it. So as we turn into wrapping this conversation up a little bit, Aaron, I want to invite you, is there from an adaptive mindset perspective, is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners that has served you uh, throughout these two and a half years of, of building this, this, this organization? Um, one of the things uh, that I tried to be very intentional about is a healthy work-life balance. <laughs> you know, when you're a CEO of a company, when you're at the top, there's a million things going on. Um, I imagine in, in this age of Zoom meetings like we are now, it's very easy to just build stuff back to back to back to back. And I have days like that where I literally hang up the Zoom on one meeting and immediately I'm clicking a link to get into another Zoom meeting that I have um, right after. And that can be very exhausting. And, you know, your brain can just kind of go numb <laughs> after a while. Um, and then you have to process all the information from all the meetings throughout the day. Um, and then get caught up on emails and phone calls and missed messages and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there's a lot to be done um, as, as the head of an organization. And there's a lot of things grabbing at your attention 
that are prior, you know, are high priority sometimes and, and need your attention. But um, to be able to step out of that and recharge yourself, recenter yourself, um, even if it's, you know, intentionally creating gaps of time between meetings so that you are able to kind of process, not have back-to-back meetings as much as possible, do a little breathing, a little breath work, <laughs> you know, um, get yourself recentered again. Um, so trying to be very intentional about, you know, working hard and, and giving yourself opportunities to play hard um, as well. And hopefully that, um, you know, that balance will help me as a leader, um, as a team player, as a visionary, um, you know, to have a clear head, clear mind, clear heart about what we're doing and where we're going. Yeah, what I'm really hearing in that, Aaron, is um, being very intentional about staying connected to who you are and your own mm-hmm. purpose and your own values. So that reset, that reset that you're talking about, like in the middle of your day, back-to-back Zooms or, you know, cranking through lots of emails and any, any, Anyone in an executive role has got a full inbox and a full calendar and it's meeting after meeting after meeting. And so you have to, but you're being relied on for good decisions, right? You're being relied on to make the most effective decision you can with the information you have, which is never the amount of information you want. So how do you do that? It is, it is staying what we'll call centered, right? It is taking that minute, have a few deep breaths, make sure you're getting some exercise or you're getting some good fruit nutrition, you're getting good rest and, and so that you can be a hundred percent alert. So I think that that's absolutely fantastic. So I want to go over the impact again, two and a half years, 3 million pounds of food rescued, 18 million pounds distributed, 20 million in, in uh, $20 million worth of in-kind donations, over a hundred partners. And when I talk to you, I feel like you're just getting started. <laughs> we are, which is bizarre. Okay. So Take a few moments and, yeah. um, you know, tell our listeners what, what's next and what do you need? Yeah. You know, we're, we're looking to expand in other counties. Um, as I said, Fauquier is next. And each county is very different in the infrastructure needs, the food insecurity needs. Um, you know, you've got the density of, a, you know, Fairfax, and then you've got the complete opposite in the county like Fauquier or down in Culpeper, mm-hmm. where it's, you know, very rural. Um, so, uh, you know, for us, as we expand, having more people to download our app and, you know, if you're in the Northern Virginia area, uh, you know, find our Northern Virginia food rescue app on the Apple store, Google play, download it, be a food rescue hero. It's at your convenience, but it takes like an hour to do. Uh, we usually post rescues first thing in the morning between seven 30 and 8 AM for the day. Um, but we've got everything from, you know, picking up at a grocery store and taking it two miles to a church pantry down the street that's getting ready to feed people to um, uh, home deliveries of groceries from a food pantry to a shut-in senior or a family that's quarantined um, because of COVID. So we just put groceries on their doorstep or they lost their transportation because they lost their job and can't afford gas. There's a million reasons. And we try to make sure that there's equitable food distribution regardless of your circumstance, where you are, what's happened in your life, food is a basic necessity. Um, and I will say a quote that I heard um, a couple of years ago was, um, hunger is just one room in the house of poverty. It just happens to be the room that we're focused on, but there's a lot of need. So having volunteers, um, obviously um, donations, we're a 501c3, we're a nonprofit, we're dependent on grants and foundations and individual donors who are willing to support the work that we're doing. All that funding goes towards programs and staff 
um, to, to make sure that we're doing a great job um, with, with the food that we're being, you know, that is being donated to us and making sure our partners are able to feed those in need in our community. Um, so, you know, some of the biggest things uh, for us um, and networking, you know, I love meeting people. I love networking with folks, getting an idea of what they do so that I can uh, hopefully, you know, connect, connect them with other folks as well. Fantastic. So you mentioned the app, uh, Northern Virginia Food Rescue. I yep. have it on my phone. I've opened it a few times and I can see rescues out there. Um, so how could uh, someone also follow you or connect with Northern Virginia Food Rescue or maybe connect with you directly? Yeah. Um, thanks. Thanks, Ray, again for this opportunity and, and to kind of promote what we're doing um, and connect with people. Um, we have a, a great website, uh, nova-fr.org. Uh, you can subscribe to receive our monthly newsletter. Um, you can see statistics and information of things going on. Follow us on social media. Um, all of our social media is Nova Food Rescue. Um, so Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. And then if you're in a particular county, like if you're in Prince William County, we have you know, PW Food Rescue on social media. If you're in Fairfax, it's you know, FX Food Rescue, et cetera. So you can even follow more specifically to your county and your community things that are happening um, needs, opportunities for engagement, um, et cetera. So love for you um, to follow us um, and uh, we'll keep you posted on things that are happening. Love it. Love it. Aaron, this has been a, a, an amazing conversation uh -huh. and I just, I really want to just support the work you're doing and uh, we're going to share this episode within our network and out um, and really just commend what you've done and really want to thank you for being on the show today. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. Really appreciate it. Great talking to you as always. Thank you for joining us on the Adaptive Executive Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard and thank you for listening.